The British, the British dream. Below our expectations. We're about to be an all country. We're about to be a country. Wonderful to be here. The British dream podcast. Join us. Powerful people as we launch up despicable acts like these and the sickening and barbaric politics. What I hate about this Shut up is that it's so violent. When the next phase of this disaster comes, they will come for you. Uh, hello and welcome to the British Dream, Vice's politics podcast. My name is Simon Childs, Home Affairs Editor at Vice.com. We really are leaving. It's now in our domestic law and it's in EU law. So let's talk seriously about what our future relationship is going to be like and how we leave this organisation. I know, I know, but we thought it was about time we chatted about Brexit. The eyes to the right, 324. Try to calm down. The nose to the left, 290. And behave like an adult. Have you ever watched shit slide down the back legs of a cow? Well, that's Brexit and we're the cow. It moves slowly, it's dull, and frankly, it's a mess. It's warming up a bit at the moment, though. Over the past week, the government has avoided a major defeat on its Brexit bill by making concessions to MPs that give them the right to approve a course of action if there's no deal by November. People are saying this means that the no-deal option, preferred by hardcore Brexiteers, is looking dead. Pro-Brexit Tories are worried that they've been stiff by May, who have previously given them a lot of reassurance. Today I'm chatting to Dr. Marina Prentulis from Another Europe is Possible. We're going to talk about some of the issues that we don't talk about enough, migration, job security. But first of all, why is Brexit so difficult to follow? So I was maybe going to start by asking your opinion on what happened in Parliament yesterday. See if you have an opinion on it. Theresa May avoided a major defeat by conceding some stuff to Remain Conservatives, saying that if the government hasn't come to an agreement with Europe by November, then maybe on some level Parliament will perhaps have some kind of say in Brexit. Don't you worry when you say this thing that Parliament may have some something to do with Brexit at some level. It sounds so undemocratic, doesn't it? Right. As if you have Parliament there, but nobody, the government, I mean, doesn't want them to intervene. Well, no, that's exactly it. And so I guess from your perspective, this is a maybe a small nudge towards maybe a better conversation about Brexit? Yeah, okay, it may be a a small thing, but I I want much more to tell you the truth. You know, there there is this uh, this idea these days that, oh, but we had the referendum and and the people spoke, and if the people spoke, they should shut up forever now. Mm -hmm. And I want something different. I want the people to be able to get involved and get involved all the time. And this is why I want a, a referendum on the terms. It's not the same like the first referendum. It's something different. Mm-hmm. When we know what deal we want, let's have a referendum on the terms. Let the people again um, decide. Before we get to a second referendum, I think it'd be interesting to talk about what a discussion around Brexit would look like that wasn't just completely tied up in the internal politics of the Conservative Party. So I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. I listened to a story about Brexit the other day on the radio Frankly, it could have been about anything. I can't remember what it was about, right? But let's say it was about membership of the single market. In the first sentence or two sentences, the reporter said, mentioned the single market and then continued for like the rest of like a two minute report to talk about what different conservatives from different parts of the Conservative Party 
thought about this small aspect of a trading arrangement. So, so you hear explained. all the boring people what they think on this particular issue. Yeah. I wonder if the people stay tuned in that. I would have switched off immediately. Yeah, yeah, but no, that, that that's kind of all I see from Brexit coverage. The whole the whole story seems to be a story about what different wings of a Conservative Party think, and you have yeah. to be so invested, like like if you watch a series of The West Wing or something, in the, <laughs> like in in the minds of like particular politicians and this kind of game of chess and also it's a game of chess about trading relationships which i feel like no one they sort of just happen and our lives go on right yes, yes. i'm sure that i'm sure they're very important but people aren't like super invested in a particular set of trading relationships and so i find the conversation so completely closed off and very like westminster bubble yes um and a, right. of, and a lot of political coverage is that But with Brexit particularly, it feels like it's very important. <laughs> you know, it's, it's about the future of the country. And there's no sort of real conversation happening. As, as you say, the only time public opinion is really invoked is when it's like, well, we already heard what they thought. <laughs> yes. So everyone else that's shut enough. up. That's enough. Yeah, yeah, that's enough public opinion. I know. And this is the problem with politics and the problem with the media. Yeah? They have these discussions that if if you are not very much invested, as you said, you cannot follow or is a, it's amazing boring. Of course, for uh, having this discussion about what different factions within the conservatives believe, there is a reason for that. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that we are in this situation having to deal with Brexit, which is generally for a lot of people a bad idea and for other people that they think it's not a bad idea, I think it's because there are other grievances that they have but the reason why we are here is because of the Conservative Party so they had different factions fighting a faction that it really wanted a, a Brexit and they had UKIP pushing and taking their votes as well and at some point they said okay in order to pacify this group and not to lose our uh, voters let's offer a referendum thinking that nobody will go to vote and if they vote they vote for what it already existed and of course the people wanted to give them two fingers and they did give them two fingers through the referendum but I think it's because there were other things going wrong we had austerity for such a long time we had the crisis a lot of people were feeling the pressure and they were angry and they were angry with their own things the EU, of course the media for years and years and years they have been saying how bad is the EU, and uh, they were thinking that, okay, the scapegoat is the migrants, and of course the media and the government showed that quite a lot. This is our problem, which has, it has nothing to do uh, with the reality. And then people went to vote for this referendum, and they gave them the two fingers. But I think it's a very, very bad idea. Now that we had more time to discuss, I think we have to go to another referendum to think of the uh, what type of deal we want. Yeah? I'm interested to hear you say that um, people are angry at other things like austerity and so on. Isn't it, the EU has like imposed austerity in in well, the I case mean, of Greece? In I the think. case of Greece, like where you're from. But I'm interested to hear you say that you know people voted for Brexit because they were actually worried about austerity. But austerity is something that 
is kind of tied up in some of the EU's politics, no? Yeah, you are right. And the reason for that is that in most of the European countries we had right-wing governments, the same bastards like this government, actually, as well. And we, we should not forget that Britain has done quite a lot in order to impose these cuts and this austerity across Europe, actually. Mm-hmm. So it's the same bastards that they, they, they were trying to impose austerity and neoliberalism and cut jobs and leave people unemployed in parts of Greece, even parts of Europe like Greece, uh, for example. And now they, they want, instead of owning what they have done, to say, no, but it's this fault, it's the EU's fault. Come on, these were your pals until yesterday. And you were all agreeing that they should impose austerity, that we should have cans. And nobody was giving a shit about the people of Britain or about the people in Europe. So I don't think we should forget that, that all of them, they were in the same bed, they were conservatives, and they were all together imposing austerity. How did... British Conservatives help impose austerity on places like Greece? You know what? The problem is that it wasn't only Conservatives. Yeah, uh-huh. It was the Blairite Labour Party mm-hmm. as well. Because all... First of all, one of the big things that they were doing domestically, but also on the EU level, is trying to talk about all these technical terms and the economy and the third way and things like that, that people cannot really uh, follow or they don't care. So I think they tried to disassociate all of us from democracy, from being able to participate and have an opinion. They start talking about these um, economics, the neoliberal economics, which is one option only. But they were talking about it as as if it's the only way to go forward. So the only way for economy to exist is to have privatizations, to destroy the welfare system, and so on. And, and I think this happened, as I said, from the Blairite government, but also conservative governments. And all these people come together in different institutions of the EU, which, let's say, the conservatives and the neoliberals have the majority. And if you had social democratic parties, they were not strong enough to say, fuck off, we don't want this policies. We want socialist policies. We want a different Europe that it will care for the people. But so now you are arguing to stay in this and fight this machine that that did impose austerity or, or neoliberalism across Europe. But but you think hypothetically Europe could be democratized I guess. I think look it has some institutions, yeah? The big institutions and they are relatively democratic relatively democratic if if you compare it with Britain that you have a lot of institutions like the Lords which I'm getting much warmer towards them yeah. this, is, this is worrying I think. yeah I heard someone say there's only, there's only so many times you can watch like an undemocratic institution sort of impose democracy on parliament before, yes, you, exactly. before you actually like it exactly so now I worry about that but it was an undemocratic institution now in the EU you have different institutions like the parliament like the council and so and the commission of course but they're quite democratic I mean you vote for uh, we vote for parliament and again remember that it's conservatives that they have the majority in there. Doesn't the parliament have not that much power? It has because it's the one that it will um, ratify the different proposals that they are done from the other uh, institutions. Probably, although you're right, not not enough. (laughs) But also you have to remember that it's us as well, that because they have made this politics so boring, 
to follow. We don't really go to vote in a lot of the European elections. We don't follow exactly what is happening with the other institutions. And then you have the council that it's all the heads of states, which, again, I mean, you have voted for them nationally. You have the commission, again, the um, The president of the commission is elected, but um, you have this uh, group there, which is more like civil servants, as you have and so on. So it's relative. I I don't want to say that it's the most democratic setup ever, but it's relatively democratic. But it has been taken over by conservatives and they are everywhere. And of course, they are ruthless and they go for the policies that they want. You know, the ones that it's in their interest. They don't give a shit about me and you and the rest of the people of Europe. And if you think about it, why should they? It's not in their interest. It is on us to create bonds across Europe and fight them off. And at some point, do the change the national governments, do the politics we want to do, support the welfare state, for example, and tell them to fuck off. Mm-hmm. And let's take it from there. But it's a battle that we have to give at some point. We haven't given it yet. But like, how would you sort of get people engaged in a discussion about this kind of club that's all about particular trading rules and like tariffs? It's like we're expected to get very, very, very interested in like particular trading tariffs. And like, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that it is boring and like this is. Is, this is not what people are talking about like on, you know what I mean like the last election people did get quite engaged because there was some level of ideological or political choice on offer mm-hmm. and so you know people care about politics now it's like do we want max fac or no deal and all this like jargon that is all very sort of specific and minor differences that the EU will probably reject anyway. And even if they don't, someone in the Conservative Party will be annoyed. And that's how we're supposed to understand it. Because they are a club, they have to make sure that uh, they keep their power. I mean, it it will be very crazy to start making good deals with Britain because the rest of us, Greece or Spain or Portugal, will say, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> you have totally uh, destroyed us and now you are giving them a, be- a better deal. So let's all go out. So this is not going to happen. But th- look at it from the side of Britain. So what happened is that we had across the world a a few very dodgy people taking power, like Trump, like Erdogan in Turkey. And the first thing that these very dodgy men, authoritarian, misogynistic, really, really dangerous people, the first thing that made it is to go and start shaking hands with them. And there was a reason why she did that. Because if you want to have trade deals, and if the EU is going to give you problems, you are going to get out and so on, you will have to make deals with people like Trump and Erdogan. And this is the, these are, okay, people don't, don't like it when I say things like that, but they are dictators. They may have been elected democratically, but they are unacceptable human beings on all possible levels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is what will happen with trade deals. You have to find partners and the partners that they were going for, they were these very dodgy men. So 
you can see that this is not going to go away. Now, one thing that has happened previously with trade deals, and I know it's boring, it's um, that if we manage to have a movement across Europe and we come together to fight dodgy trade deals, we have, a, within the EU, we had a better um, possibility of winning. Now, imagine Britain. Yeah? If we have a conservative government, we are screwed. Anyway, they will make the worst deals possible. For us, the best deals for capital. But even if we had a socialist government, they will have to go and find partners. And that, if you are outside the EU, it will be much more difficult than staying within the EU and working with some of us that we want to see this change. Mm-hmm. Of course, if we had a socialist government, they could say, and this is the fight that I would like to see, they could say, you know what? We are going to do our own politics, the ones we we were voted for. If the EU doesn't like it, then we can tell them to fuck off. Mm. But we haven't tried that ever. What do you think that would look like? Because, yeah, that was the next thing I was going to say. Like, the EU does impose a lot of rules on its members, obviously, including, for instance, like, it would be more difficult to nationalise the railways or stop prioritising the NHS within Europe. Yeah, but this is wrong, you know. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but we tend to forget that that when there were more um, social democratic governments, there was this big idea that the EU will be a social EU. This idea that we are talking about a social EU, which will take care of the people of the EU, it is it is totally forgotten. And now you have this EU that which is totally technocratic, boring, and it cares only about big businesses, how they will privatize, how they will make money and so on. And this is what I find exciting, that we should talk about these things, how we get together to fight them. But at the moment, like all the examples I can think of are of the EU explicitly rejecting that. Uh, for instance, the election in Italy recently, the EU is basically saying to the Italian electorate, yeah, you, you can't have them because um, because the EU says no. It, it was a very undemocratic moment, but now I think it has been sorted and they are um, in government. But look what was the first thing they did. They are refusing refugees, mm-hmm. boats with refugees, to get into the ports of Italy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are a fascist if you do that. <laughs> That was one of the things I was going to come on to. Like, if we're not talking about uh, the internal politics of the Conservative Party, what are the things we ought to be talking about? Migration. And migration is obviously one and of them. And refugees. And refugees, yeah. yeah. The EU is a massive border system. And there's like this idea of fortress Europe. And, you know, we have From this... From the outside, yeah. Yeah, so we have this idea as, you know, people who can... I can go on holiday to Greece or I can move to Berlin if I, if I feel like it, if I have the money. At the moment. <laughs> no, you should move to Greece, man. Yeah. The, the sun is shining yeah, and no, it's I've much been. cheaper. Greece is great. I love Greece, yeah. <laughs> For us as Europeans, that's like a really nice mm-hmm. thing. But Europe has been enforcing its external border. I mean, so in that Italian example, was it the Italian government who rejected refugees or was it like part of a wider European the Italian effort? government and a lot of uh, mayors of different cities... Look what happened, because this was a big thing for Greece as well. And Greece, in a way, it was left to deal with refugees yeah. on, its, on its own, in a way. But what happened at that point, you have the economic crisis and you have the refugee crisis, a lot of people coming in. And the Greek government, because it was, it is a left government, it was much more sympathetic. 
uh, towards the refugees and keeping an environment within Greece which is not trying to scapegoat um, refugees. So we took a lot of refugees and then what happens? You have a lot of countries that they have right-wing governments, extreme right-wing governments, mm-hmm. I mean, and they start saying that we are going to close the borders, which means they will block them, the refugees in Greece, they won't be able to go anywhere. And at that point, it was um, the German government which opened the borders and took, I don't know, possibly 800,000 or a million um, refugees. And this type of laws, I want them imposed, and I want them imposed on Italy, which has an anti-refugee government, and any other right-wing government as well. They should not close the borders, and we should welcome the refugees. And especially when I'm talking from Britain, when we went and we bombed Syria and other places without never thinking what would that mean for um, the people. But you're right. It it has a, a, a negative... It's a fortress for those outside. Mm -hmm. What I think, however, is that we should not give up to the idea of Europe. We should try to change that. Accept refugees, but also uh, try to change, especially in Britain, the situation that exists with migrants, that suddenly they are the scapegoats. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I have to say, it's not only European migrants. A lot of the people who uh, have this anti-migrant sentiment, they are quite pointing to people with other skin colors as well in many cases. So there is a racism in that as well. I don't mean, of course, that anybody who voted for Brexit feels like that, but immigration was one of the biggest um, issues. And you know what? In a way, I understand it. It's difficult when things change very fast. It's difficult when you see people that you don't understand around you. But this was n- this is not the enemy. The enemy is this type of governments that they impose um, austerity, that they don't give jobs to the people, that they want to privatize um, anything. This is politics. This, this is the proper politics, not the boring Westminster bubble, the mm. grassroots thing. We have to resist that. We have to go out. We have to talk to people that it's not the migrants' fault that we are in this um, situation. You said you, you want a EU that would like impose on, on Italy, for instance, to open its borders. Mm. Is it not the situation at the moment that the EU has this rule that migrants have to stay in the first country they got to? Which was Greece which or would be Greece or, Yeah, which would be, you know, a Southern European country, which are like slightly economically weaker. And then the sort of richer Northern European countries are just like, yep. <laughs> yeah. They're having fun. <laughs> yeah, they have fun. Apart from Germany, I told you. To yeah, apart from Germany, yeah. Um, but, but yes, uh, you are right. And I would like this uh, legislation. I want to fight it and change it as well. Um And of course, you know what happens. I mean, sometimes we say the EU as if it's one body, Mm -hmm. but of course you have power games in there. And there is the North European countries that they are richer, and Germany has so much money that they don't know what to do with it. And then you have a periphery like Greece and Spain and Italy that you leave them to deal with the problems that you impose because they don't have much power. You impose your uh, very wrong um, rules on them and so on. But I want to fight for that. I want to change that. And I feel that I can change it better if I come together with uh, people from all these other countries than if I'm isolated and alone 
in an island, that island being Britain or that island being Greece. I do believe in solidarity and coming together and fighting. As we've been saying, you hear a lot about the internal politics of the Conservative Party with this. You you hear quite a lot about the internal politics of the Labour Party as well. And obviously they're in like a quite a difficult position where as a party they're fairly probably likely to be, you know, their members will be quite remain. But a lot of them are working the MPs will be working in constituencies in which a lot of people voted for leave. I wonder if you think there's an extent to which Labour's sort of super pragmatic in a political sense position kind of maybe forecloses any discussion about what a more progressive Brexit might look like or a progressive fight against Brexit. The Labour Party was created to win elections and I think this is a mentality that you will find in a lot of parties. So mm-hmm. parties and movements, they don't go very well together. Mm-hmm. Parties, they are focused on one thing. I have to go in elections and win the elections. Mm-hmm. Movements are something else. You are trying to change the conditions, change the narratives on the ground. And I think the Labour Party still has this mentality. We have to win the next election. Let's be very pragmatic. Let's do or not do things in order to win the next election. Mm-hmm. I wanted something different. I, I may be naive, though, yeah? I wanted something different, which will be, no, we have certain beliefs, certain ethics, and we are not going to take this pragmatic uh, position, but we will try to have this debate with the people and change the right wing and uh, and the migrant narrative that we have in Britain. To give you an example on that, so everybody is going on about migrants and how they undercut the wages and so on. And there is a very clear solution to that. Let's have a socialist government and let's all come together to create bargaining from sector to sector that it will put the minimum standards in terms of wages, in terms of conditions, and this will apply to everybody, British people and migrant people. So let's not allow them to exploit, first of all, migrants, and let's not allow them to give less and less to the working people in Britain, but we have to come and work together. But instead of saying that, Mm -hmm. they go a little bit along the narrative that, yeah, okay, migrants are not bad, but maybe they are undercutting the wages, which, by the way, it's totally wrong. Yeah, yeah? they're not. Yeah, so... Why don't they they say something different, something that it will be more socialist, it will show solidarity, and it will create better working conditions for all of us, migrants and British alike? Mm -hmm. I guess, as you say, is this like very political thing? But I guess, but you're but you're you're saying you would want a social movement to have that discussion with itself, basically. I would like the party to have this discussion as well, because I am a member of the Labour Party, I am a member of Momentum, I want to have this discussion, I want to be asked about the policy of the Labour Party, 
And um, I am also in another campaign, which is Labour for Freedom of Movement. I'm, I'm working on that within the party and outside the party. And I want to have a different debate and change people's perception on some of these issues. And not necessarily about the EU migrants and what will happen with Brexit and so on. But since we, all, we start this discussion, let's have a bigger discussion. Let's, let's be even utopian. If you want, what type of world do we want to live in? Do we want fortress Europe? No. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how this can change. And I want to have this discussion. I, I think, if anything, the referendum gave us a chance to open some of these issues, at least within or amongst ourselves. Are you concerned that that will be something that's lost in the Brexit discussions? Like, it feels like the EU wouldn't really budge on that. The EU is not going to allow us to be in the single market without freedom of movement. Of course. I mean, it's the four fundamental. Yeah. Uh, so freedoms. we're either going to lose freedom of movement and not be in the single market or stay in. Do you think it's likely that that's something we could lose in the negotiations? Uh, yes, I think we may lose this freedom of movement that we have. And this is why I find it so important to have another... I shouldn't say another referendum. It's not another referendum. It's a referendum on the terms. I know that a lot of people will be, oh, but you're against the will of the people and you should be hanged and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But we need to discuss and go on discussing it and at some point have a second referendum which people will decide what they want. Do you want to keep freedom of movement? Do you want to lose it? Do you want to be in the single market or not? And what are the proposals? If the EU rejects the government's desire to end freedom of movement and that's just like imposed on Britain what do you think the implications are then for like British politics and people's attitudes towards freedom of movement because I think that could come across as like like I'm for freedom of movement but like I think that could come across as very undemocratic and people would be very disaffected and angry at that yeah but but, but it isn't disconnected it will go with the other deals as well so uh, you, you will ha- you, you cannot pick and choose in this four fundamental freedoms. Either you go for freedom of movement and the other freedoms or not. Again, I would like to say that it's only the conservative, but it wasn't the conservative. Do you remember the mugs? The dead Milband? Yeah, yeah. Which was against uh, migrants or refugees. I I mean, also Corbyn's migration policy has been... He's said some okay things, but actually the migration policy has been, if anything, a little... I guess further to the right and there's been a lot of as you said there's a lot of this rhetoric about like yeah maybe migrants do you know what I hate most I hate it when they start talking and I saw a few debates and Labour people and close to Corbyn they start taking well I guess they have a brief it's not necessarily their position but they start talking about illegal Migrants, and I hate this idea of illegal migrants. Mm. When I, I, I don't even know what it means, and when I'm trying to think what it means, I want to think about it. So what? There are individuals that they are here illegally, mm. while Britain, who has been all over the place, it was legally. Mm. You know, I have issues with the empire mm. as well. So. How come when British go and occupy places and fuck everything up, it's legal? But now we are talking about these illegal individuals that I don't like these dichotomies and and these uh, terms that they are used. I I really freak out when I hear illegal. Thanks to our guest, Marina Prentulis from Another Europe is Possible. 
My name is Simon Childs, Home Affairs Editor at Vice.com. The British Dream was produced by Sam Bonham at Rethink Audio. Sorry about the Brexit shit. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Hopefully there'll be less of it then. Stay positive. Keep the dream alive. <laughs>